Uh, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Uh, right, um, quick quiz this morning. All right, if you were here at the first service, please don't shout out the answers. All right, but let's see how many of you are awake. Okay, now, just to uh, give you some incentive, there is a fantastic prize for the person who gets the answers right. Well, most answers right, okay? And it's a great prize. It's a voucher for a meal for two at a new pop-up food establishment in Southport. All right, so it's worth winning this. All right, so, first question, all right? How many seeds are there, how many mustard seeds are there in a standard size of Coleman's, jar of Coleman's mustard? All right? Just uh, get the... Next slide, please. Okay, right, so how many to the nearest thousand? Okay. How many seeds are there? Thousands. Jackie, what did you say? Two thousand. Six thousand. None. Fourteen thousand. Close, Rob. Rob's the closest so far. Someone's been cheating over there. All right, the answer is five hundred. Well done, Bethany, was it? 500 mustard seeds in a standard jar of Coleman's mustard. I know, I was lying. All right. Okay, so, next question. Which place in the world currently produces the most mustard seeds? India. India, close. Completely the wrong continent, but close. All right? You can trust me, I'm a lawyer. Okay. Any ideas? Brazil. Brazil, closer. Canada. Canada is correct. It's Canada and the states of Montana and North Dakota. Who knew that, eh? So, at your next dinner party, when you're stuck for something to talk about, you can drop into the conversation. All right, now... Um, who wins? That's probably Bethany's won the voucher. Come to me afterwards and I'll give it to you, okay? A meal for two, you and a special person. <laughs> All right. We'll talk to your dad later about the special person. Okay. All right. And if you present this at this new pop up restaurant, you'll get two free hot dogs, okay? Now, mustard has obviously been around for a long time. Jesus regularly referred to a mustard seed and used it in uh, illustrations he was using, illustrations of smallness. We all know the uh, uh, statement that Jesus made, that if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can move a mountain. So Jesus in that story was emphasizing the smallness, the tininess of the faith that you need to do something extraordinary. All right, so put your hands up, please. Those of you who have moved a mountain this week. Right, one person. 
Now, I'm not saying anything, but that says something about your faith. All right? That none of the rest of you have moved a mountain this week. All right. Now, Jesus used the idea of a mustard seed in other stories he told as well, including uh, our, one of our stories today. And each of these stories, each of these parallels, uh, parables that we're looking at today, uh, begins in the same way, and in the same way as many of the parables he told, by reference to this idea of the kingdom of heaven, or sometimes the kingdom of God. And as we have seen over the past few weeks, in these stories told by Jesus, he uses a variety of illustrations, things, people, to try to convey, uh, to try to capture something of the essence of this idea, the kingdom of heaven. Now we tend to think of kingdoms as a place or places, but the kingdom that Jesus is talking about is not some geographical or political territory. You won't find this kingdom on a map. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is the realm, the spiritual realm where Jesus Christ reigns as king and God's authority is supreme. And so you will find this kingdom, this kingdom of God expressed in the lives and values of people who have chosen Jesus Christ, that have become disciples of Jesus, people who have placed themselves personally under the loving rule of a gracious God. And it's this kingdom, kingdom of heaven, that we need to invest our lives in, our energies, our gifts, our greatest loves, our deepest joys, our biggest dreams are to be wrapped up in this kingdom. And this is why Jesus said to people, don't lay up your treasures on heaven, sorry, on, on earth, your treasures should be in heaven. It's what we mean when we pray our Father, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we're talking about. The kingdom of heaven exists, it's here, it's present, it's present in the lives and, of people, present in relationships, present in situations where God's will is being done. So, with that introduction, let's look then at the text from Mark's Gospel and chapter 4 to these two brief but beautiful parables, because together they illustrate an important, exciting characteristic of the kingdom. They illustrate how the kingdom of God grows. And please can I ask you to uh, turn in your Bibles then to Mark chapter 4. I'm going to ask you to follow this, so if, you've, if there's a, a Bible in the seat in front of you, can I encourage you to turn to chapter 4? It's at page 1006 in the church Bible. We're going to do a little bit of Bible study this morning. Not much. So, Mark chapter 4. Uh, to put these uh, stories into context, though, let's first consider how Jesus' ministry began, as recorded in Mark. Now, among the first words that Jesus is recorded speaking as part of his ministry is found in chapter 1, verse 15, where Jesus announces his ministry. Jesus there says, The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So Jesus is telling 
the people. The kingdom of God, this idea of kingdom has come near, repent and hear and believe the good news. And what takes place in the opening chapters is incredibly exciting. Here we see the impact of the king and his kingdom. You'll see just by looking at the headings in that chapter. You all know the stories. People are miraculously healed. Demons are cast out. And when Jesus teaches, the crowd hangs on every word. He offers forgiveness to a man who is paralyzed. He invites fishermen and a tax collector to leave everything and follow him, and they do. We see in those opening chapters what happens when heaven touches earth, when God walks among us. The kingdom has come, and everything appears to be going so well. But by the time we arrive at chapter 3, trouble seems to be brewing. The authorities have begun to oppose Jesus. The synagogues are close to him, and his own family, even his own family, rejects him and begins to question his sanity. And so by the time we get to our chapter, chapter 4 this morning, by the time this chapter opens, the disciples are at risk of pressing the panic button. They want to know how to make sense of this opposition movement that they have signed up to. They are anxious. Anxious that the mission that they have joined has, uh, is going to be unsuccessful. That they need reassurance that the future does indeed belong to the kingdom of God. And that's why Jesus tells these parables, these two particular parables. He tells them for their benefit, for the benefit of those first disciples. Because they needed to know that the word of God which Jesus is preaching and the kingdom of heaven which he is signposting, they need to believe that that will grow and grow and triumph. And so Jesus tells them these stories. Well, chapter 4 begins, as you can see, with a much better known uh, uh, parable of the, uh, the sower, which more accurately ought to be called the parable of the soils. You'll remember the one about the sower goes out to sow and casts seed and it falls on different types of soil. And the farmer in that story, that better known parable, right at the beginning of chapter 4, that the sower in that story is sowing the word. The seed in the parable represents the word of God, the good news of the gospel. And this is the means by which the truth about God's kingdom takes root in people's lives. Now, I want you to hold that thought from that first parable in chapter 4, as we begin to look at the two smaller, shorter parables, um, also in chapter 4, beginning at verse 26. You see, parable 1 that we heard from this morning, parable 1 is the seed growing, the seed growing secretly, and parable 2 is the mustard seed parable. Now, parable 1 is about how the kingdom grows, and parable 2 is about how the kingdom triumphs. The first parable says... Don't underestimate the power of the word. Just you wait and see. And the second parable says, Don't underestimate the scale of the kingdom. Wait and worship. So let's look at parable number one. 
Verse 26, he also said, this is what the kingdom is like. A man scattered seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself. The soil produces corn, first the stalk, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. Now you will notice that that short parable contains two commands. The first one is this, so faithfully. Now in verse 26, Jesus says that this is also what the kingdom of God is like. Um, a man scattered seed on the ground. Now, the old agricultural word for that action of sowing is broadcasting. That's where the word comes from. Here is the farmer broadcasting. He's scattering seed far and wide as he walks up and down his fields. Now, incidentally, Uh, There is a statue, you will find it in the entrance hall at the uh, BBC building in Langham Place in London, a statue of the sower uh, from the uh, the Bible story here. That's why they call it Broadcasting House. Because the sower in the parable is doing exactly that. He is broadcasting, not narrowcasting. And why is he doing that? Doesn't he care where the seed lands? I don't think he is indifferent, but his aim, the aim of this person, is to spread the seed as far as he can. And applying this to our situation today, so much of our evangelism and our mission as a church over the generations has been narrow-casting. We have plowed the same tracks over and over again. We've kept the message pretty safe. We've kept it in pretty uh, confined environments. We haven't wandered too far from the orthodox. In fact, the basic premise of most church mission is to say to the community that's out there, you please come in here. And yet the lesson of this parable is quite the opposite. Jesus is saying to us, he was saying to the disciples, you go out there and spread it as widely and as indiscriminately as you can. You see, Jesus believed in outreach, whereas the church tends to be so much more insular. We don't mean to be like that, but that's what happens. We want people to adopt our culture. In other words, to say, the way we do things around here, because we are much more comfortable, much more comfortable working that way. But people are no longer going to be reached by simply using the same old conventional methods. But the majority of people nowadays are not going to choose to come into church, at least not at first, but because people around us find our structures odd. They find our traditions strange. They find our language peculiar and quaint. Society is more and more secular. And that means that people are starting a lot further back and a lot further out. 
generations are growing up with little or no grasp of the Christian message and limited contact with real Christianity. And in that environment, it often takes people several encounters with the real thing for them to make a choice. People have to trust us. People have to see Christ in us, in their environment. And if so, if we're going to reach the community with the good news of the gospel, we've got to get out there throwing the seed away, broadcasting. Now, although the farmer's approach in this story appears to be casual, casting the seed left and right, he isn't casual at all. This farmer is confident in the power of the seed to germinate and to grow wherever it lands. And that is the message that these disciples, these first disciples, needed to grasp. Don't panic, Jesus was saying. Don't panic. You sow faithfully and believe in the power of God's word, using every opportunity you have to broadcast it. This parable encourages us to be in mission mode every day. Every day in your life, yours and mine, there are opportunities to sow the truth of God, on the bus, at the school gates, in the gym, just having people round for a coffee, for a meal, natural, casual, relational, just like the farmer sowing faithfully, scattering the seed. We drop faith into normal conversation because we remain convinced that actually this faith of ours This Christian faith, the message of Jesus, still has profoundly important things to say to people, to say to our community. And that's the way the kingdom grows. You can see from verse 27 of Mark chapter 4, where the emphasis in this story is, where Jesus placed the emphasis. Night and day, whether he sleeps or get up, the seed sprouts and grows though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. All by itself. Do you see what Jesus is saying here? There's no mention of the condition of the soil or the weather. The farmer in the story, frankly, is asleep most of the time. All by itself, the seed sprouts and grows. And the more that we see God at work in people's lives, the more mysterious often it seems to be. Just like the farmer here. I don't know how it works. I just know that it does. Often we think we have to get it all absolutely right and say just the right things at the right time to set up the right soil conditions. But this little parable rescues us from that feeling. It rescues us from that sense of over-anxiety that we, we have got to get it right. We've all heard incredible testimonies of lives transformed from people who tell of God's truth landing in their lives in curious ways. Sometimes we try to share our faith and inside we're sort of dying inside we're thinking this just isn't going to work I'm making a real mess of this 
How on earth can I compete with the other distractions in people's lives? We wonder how on earth is my daughter going to come back to faith or my husband going to find Jesus. We worry about things like that and Jesus says in this parable, don't panic. You don't panic. This is the way my kingdom grows as my word The good news is scattered in the most unusual places, in the most unlikely circumstances, and my word will triumph. The power is not in us or in our persuasive arguments. It's not in in improved uh, farming techniques or better soil conditions. Growth comes not because of our marketing strategy. The power is in the word. And so the big reassuring lesson of parable number one is this. Don't underestimate the power of the word. You just wait and see. And if the first command is so faithfully, the second command is wait Patiently. In the parable for the farmer, waiting is as much an activity as sowing. He uh, sleeps and gets up, says Jesus. The seed sprouts and grows. He doesn't know how. It takes great faith on the part of the farmer, great faith in the power of the seed, and great patience through the seasons to wait. To wait when there are no obvious signs that something is happening. There is a problem, is there not, in our Western culture that negatively affects the church and how we understand these things. We live in an age when no one wants to hear uh, this message and when no one wants to wait for anything. We must have it now. We want things to happen quickly, but we need the perspective of this parable. You see, things don't happen overnight, says Jesus. When it comes to matters of faith, it takes time. Don't get discouraged, because you just never know what's going on spiritually underneath, beneath the surface of other people's lives. It might appear to us that nothing is happening, and we want God to hurry up, to get on with it. But God's word and his spirit take their time. The plant grows gradually. And much of the growth is often barely perceptible. Maybe there is something you have been praying for and nothing seems to be happening. Something you've been longing for and praying about for years and years. And yet nothing seems to be changing. And to all of that understandable anxiety and emotion, Jesus says, wait patiently. Growth in faith often is not uniform, it's not linear. It's a process where development happens sometimes at different rates for different people. Not always the same way for everyone. We might live in an instantaneous world. But becoming like Jesus takes time. And we are all different. And there are a number of factors at work. For example, our temperament, our life context can have an impact on the extent to which we begin 
and make and travel this journey. And the index of, re- the index of real growth is not the point we have reached, but of course the point from which we have started this journey. And so we need that patience, not just with ourselves, but with those who are taking small steps in the Christian faith. And so as you so faithfully, we need to wait patiently. And that brings us to the second parable, which is really a confirmation of the first and to the final command. Here is the command. Reap joyfully. In verse 31, Jesus told the second story. It's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on the earth, and yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. You see, God will triumph, Jesus is saying. He's at work in the world in the most amazing ways. He's at work in the lives of people deep beneath the surface, and everything God does will produce results. And so if the first parable says, don't underestimate the power of the word, wait and see. This parable, the second one, tells us, don't underestimate the power of the kingdom. You wait and you just worship. For there is a great harvest coming. And it's going to be out of all proportion to the apparent size and significance of the initial seed of the gospel. That's the point of the mustard seed in this illustration. Despite its tiny size, it has the potential to grow into something wonderful, something magnificent. There will be remarkable and unexpected growth in God's kingdom. That's what's promised here And of course, that's what happened, isn't it? The Christian faith came from pretty humble, inauspicious beginnings. And yet, when Jesus was telling this story, he knew the scale of the kingdom which his revolution of love and forgiveness would unleash on the world. It would become, ultimately, the resting place for people and cultures and nations Now, it might not feel like that for us today here in the West, but the Christian church is, in fact, bigger now worldwide than it's ever been, and it's still growing at an extraordinary rate. For example, it's estimated that in China, there are now more Christians than there are members of the Communist Party. Estimates put it at something like 100 million believers. Who would have believed that uh, 30 years ago. And it's the same promise and the same exciting prospects that drives our local new vision here at Christchurch. We want to see our own town transformed. We want to broadcast the word of God across our community. And this is why we need to invest our very best resources in mission. We need to sow faithfully. We need to wait patiently. And we need to do all of that in the confident belief that sooner or later we will be able to reap joyfully. If we do our bit and trust God to do his bit, 
the bit he will do will be extraordinary. Can we have the band play, please? <laughs> 